0: Lord Jesus, we are part of a legacy, and we praise you for the incredible faithfulness that you continue to show us, and have shown us, and those who have gone before us. As we have prayed, Lord, what would you have us do? So this preacher has prayed the same on this message, and we pray, Lord, that uh, these words uh, would be your words today. Lead these words according to your plan, and your leading, and may we together as your people be led according to your will. We pray this by your powerful name and promise over us as your people, as you live, Jesus, with the Father and Spirit, as one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I want you to pick a number. You didn't know you had to think when you came to worship today, but you do. Um, I want you to pick a number between 1 and 10. Can you do that? You got it? A number between 1 and 10. I want to make sure. It's 8 o'clock, so I want to make sure. We're waking up. Do you have it? Yes? Okay. All right. Now double that number. So you doubled the number, okay. Now add 10 to that original, or to that number. So one, number between 1 and 10, double it, and then add 10. Now do this. Divide it by 2. Now subtract the original number. And the answer is five. Five. How does that work? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea, but I know that it does. Somebody came up with three. You did it wrong. <laughs> um, but the number comes out as five every time. And and, and how that works, who knows? But numbers are incredible and amazing. Um, I'm not a numbers guy. Some of you are. Numbers people, you love numbers. You love crunching numbers. You think about numbers. Numbers are exciting to you. And and every once in a while, there are numbers that come along that are truly numbers of significance. Uh, You know what I mean by that. There's It could be birthdays, it could be anniversaries, it it can be milestones, it can be moments in life where you say that number represents something of significance. I want to show you a number of significance today. This one. Anybody know what that number represents? Weeks in the year, yes, that's true, there are 52 weeks in a year, but that is not the most significant thing about that number. I'd like to suggest that over the last few weeks as we've been spending time going through God's word and that incredible legacy of faith that God has been reminding us of through the life of Nehemiah, a man who was broken over the condition of his people, broken over the condition of, uh, of his homeland, and being led by God in brokenness to pray. God, what would you have me do? And then to be led by God as the doors open and the possibilities of what God could do and only God could do for Nehemiah to go and and establish a vision among his people to begin a rebuilding they said let us do it and, and they had and, and they went to work in a diligent way and we've learned as we got into then chapter 5 last week where the building was going on and, and we had uh, the, the struggles and the challenges of those who would tra- seek to, to stop the rebuilding and, and there were others then that, that built up a, a, an in, you know, maybe a, a fear or an anxiety. Are we doing the right thing? What if we fail? And, and all of these effects that were plaguing God's people. And as Nehemiah and inviting people to keep praying, Lord, what would you have us do? And as that rebuilding continued, and we get to chapter 5, and we learn that internally also there was a dilemma that was happening. As the building was going on, uh, the needs of God's people, remember we said, this isn't the church, this is the church. And the needs of God's people were being neglected. And and so they they rallied together and said, may it not be. And and you see this outpouring of generosity to keep ministry and the love of people in compassion and grace moving forward. Yet the rebuilding continued. And then we get to this exciting moment in chapter 6. I do invite you, if you want to open the Bible with me to Nehemiah uh, chapter 6, and we'll get a little bit into chapter 7 today too. But we get to the end of chapter 6, and it says this. And this is where the number 52 comes into play. So the wall was completed on the, fifth, the 25th of Elul in, in 52 days, it says. That's verse 15 of, of chapter 6. says that 52 days the wall was completed. And we say, oh, Okay. Uh, Big deal. Well, we learn what a big deal this is as we read the next verse. It says, When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized, put this verse up there, they realized, say it with me, they realized that this work, I really meant say it with me, they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. This is amazing to me because it, It strikes me as kind of profound. A lot of times we think about when God is moving in the lives of his people, that we as God's people are the ones that are aware of it and recognize it. And yet what we see in Nehemiah's day, as God was working among the people, the first to realize it were the surrounding nations. And the people in their community that were watching this happen, they were moved in heart to say, this is only possible because God is making it happen. Because their witness was profound. Now, we can just pass that over, but I always love saying, okay, in scripture, why is it there? That to me is an impacting verse. Because I think we often underestimate the movement of God in a community where we just take for granted the the cultural influences and sectarianism and secularism that just continue to attack the church and push it down and say, it will not prevail, it doesn't belong here anymore, schools are meant to close and shut down, there's no place for Christian education and vibrant ministry in a day like today. And yet, God intervenes. And the word among the people that surrounded them was God is in their midst. God is making this happen. Now, by nature of it, they see this building going on. And they're moved by it. Now, this goes on, and and we see the the power of numbers, that number 52. 52 days. This is a a number of significance that only God could pull this off. Nehemiah goes on in chapter 7, and you talk about numbers. If you like numbers, take a look at these numbers. He starts to list all of those who have been part of this rebuilding effort. You just, you've got each family being listed and, and this, this sense of community as, as almost a census, if you were, is, is taken of all of these families that are part of, of their legacy of faith that have been led back from exile after difficult days for part of that rebuilding effort and, and who took part in it? Now how we learned earlier, everybody focused on an area that mattered to them in their neighborhoods is that rebuilding happened in a powerful way by God's blessing. You have all these numbers of families. We're not going to read through all of them. And I love it. He even goes as far as to, uh, you get down to um, verse fifty or 66 and 67, it, it mentions um, you know, how many servants and, and how many men and women were in the choir. They had a pretty big choir, about 245. Uh, it was a big choir. And... And then it even mentions how many horses they had, how many mules, how many camels. And clearly the preferred mode of transportation back then was donkeys because there were over 6,720 of them. If you're curious, it's there. But then going to the end of the chapter, it says that some of the heads of the families contributed to the work. And he lists that. And he says, you know, it's this beautiful picture the governor gave to the treasury. All this gold and, and and all these other gifts it says that the heads of families gave to the treasury for the work twenty thousand drachmas and and if you look into that i mean that's it's over a it's uh, a lot of gold over three hundred and some pounds and and you've got all that going on you've got uh, two thousand two hundred minas of silver that's like a pound and a third i'm sorry at one and a third ton of silver and and there's this outpouring of generosity and that's with heads of families, and it says even that the total given by the rest of the people, 20,000 drachmas of gold, 2,000 minyas, um, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of gold and, and, and tons of silver, and this incredible amount that went into the building effort. Like, where does that come from? And, and you see in this, it's not equal gifts, but there's a sense of sacrifice that's shared among the families and God's people. This is just beautiful picture already in the Old Testament, of what a one legacy can look like as that continuation of generosity. It's a beautiful picture of what can happen when God has his way among his people. And I share that because I, I think it's profound in, in many ways, as, as you think of our context today. What's possible for us? And, and I say this too, what if Nehemiah had just stayed in, back in uh, in Persia and, and just not really moved. He just said, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Or what if he'd never said, hey, let's, let's give it a try and, and had this vision that God was leading. And, and what if God's people said, no way. We're not going to do that. It's going to fail. And, and, and what if they said that? And what would have happened? And yet this rebuilding effort is paving the way for later when our Savior Jesus would come into that city and would die in that city, would make the ultimate sacrifice for us as his people to give us freedom and grace and mercy and, and, and this gift of eternity. Every step along the way, God's faithfulness is shown because ultimately God is directing their steps and a God who continues to direct the steps of his people today. Put another number up there, the number six. What's that number represent? That number to me represents. Going back to 1920, and we've talked about this the six families that were meeting in a living room uh, in a house just on the north side of town and meeting for prayer and encouragement and and the study of God's word. And, And what if they had just said, you know what, let's just keep this to ourselves? But no, they took a step of faith and they said, let's form a congregation. Just six families. I mean, think about that. Six families. What if they'd said, let's just keep it to ourselves? What if they said, this is just good enough, let's just keep doing what we're doing, and, but no, they said, let's form a congregation, and, and you step forward, and, and there's another number we'll put up there, 1,942, actually a, a year, 1942, uh, just 22 years later when uh, when they by that point had grown, and, and they had a, a facility that they had bought downtown uh, on, on Butler Street downtown and, and, and there they had the, this incredible opportunity to have uh, this building that they, they had, had purchased and, and had a mortgage on and it had an upstairs and the whole thought of, hey, feeling led and, and, and prayerfully led by God to start a school ministry, go into family ministry as God was blessing them. And to think how God blessed them to, to say, okay, let's remodel the, the top floor for a school and, and the lower level will continue to use as a sanctuary and then to discover uh, unfortunately, the, the city would not allow it. They said, you can't have a school in that facility. And, and you might say, well, what if they just said, oh, this is too hard? In that case, this must be a true, true sign, a clear sign. God doesn't want to do this. But I love this fact. 1942, they face this challenge. And they prayerfully seek God's will in this. And, and in, in 1942, of all years and of all times, the world is falling apart and World War II is, is breaking out. You've got, got the Nazis attacking, and and, and it's just this time of uncertainty and wondering what's the future hold. What do God's people here at St. John do? They say, let's buy property. And they take this huge step of faith and they purchase this farm that was on this corner. And, you know, against all odds, why would they do such a thing? Because they had a godly vision. They said, you know what? God is bigger than the circumstances of what is going on in the world. And they took a step of faith and they went deeper into debt at that time. And they purchased a farm. There was a, a house here, right about over here. And, and there was a barn back there. And, and that was the beginnings of ministry. And, and what makes me even more blown away is just a few years later, on this same property, they would take an even bigger step of faith. Still with a, over in, in the equivalent of, an, we did the numbers on this, uh, I, I sent this out to one of our elders who's also on our, our finance committee to uh, uh, just do the math on this. And you, you take the size of congregation then compared to now and then run the numbers with inflation of the step of faith they took back then. And with about a $5 million debt and, and mortgage still on the property downtown, And then buying this property, they made a decision in 1945 or 46 uh, to go ahead and build a sanctuary and build a a school building here to the tune of what would be like 10 point something million dollars. We did the math on this, like, are you kidding me? Like, that's crazy. And and I say that not because, oh, Pastor Mark says we should do that today. No, I'm not. (laughs) I, I think that would be ridiculously uh, over the top, crazy, right? But they did. And I say to myself, what were they thinking? <laughs> At the same time, what if they hadn't? What if they hadn't taken a step of faith to say, you know what? God is going to provide. God is leading us to go into ministry in this community and make a bigger impact beyond ourselves. I'll show you another number. Anybody know that number? Well, it's 4,003, but you know what that number is? I'll show you another picture. If you've walked through the atrium in recent days, um, that number, 4,003, there are 4,003 little people hanging from the ceiling in the atrium, and and that represents the number of baptisms that have happened here in St. John's history going back to 1920 and beyond. It's a lot of people. These are children, these are babies, these are adults, people who have been baptized in the power of the gospel and God's word and presence, working in the lives of his people as families have continued to grow, but also as the gospel has gone out and people have said there's something going on there where they have been drawn into that message of Christ. Some of you, just to digress for a minute, will notice there is one green and white person because we do know there are a few Spartan fans among us. We love you too. Some of you are like, no way. You got to go find it. It's up there. Never mind. But, but can you imagine? What if we hadn't in the history of God's people? There's another number we'll throw up there too it's 2,509. This is an estimate of, of how many students over the years have graduated from our St. John's School as eighth graders. This is not including students that have come in and maybe been here for a time and then maybe moved away or transferred to another school or been here just for preschool or kindergarten. But this is the total number of students that have made it through all eight years or nine years, ten years, whatever, uh, to uh, graduate from our school. And, and you think of, as Roy Kaiser said it some weeks ago, you know, that impermeated with the word of God on a daily basis where we get to preach the gospel, share the gospel, live out the gospel. It it infects every subject area that Jesus is present in school ministry. It's a really special thing and and a difference that God continues to make through that. But imagine these students who have gone on into leadership and made a difference and gone off and and, and making an impact for the gospel and the kingdom. And God made that possible through the ministry here. What if they had not made those steps early on to say, let's do this in God's power and leading. I'll show you another number, and this one bugs me. Number 24. Uh, if you saw the video that went out this week, you know what that represents. 24 families just this past summer were turned away from our preschool because we had no space for them. There's no classroom space, and, and 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 are there a few spots available in upper grades, but there's no classrooms to continue expanding. Our preschool is at capacity, and and, and the possibility of adding 24 more families, we couldn't have them, because there was no space for them. 24 families, we could have shared Jesus in their daily life. And, and knowing and looking at demographics of the families that God is leading to us. Not all these families know Jesus. A lot of them don't. A lot of them are struggling and, and grappling with life. And we have an opportunity to lift up hope. And you know what? With those 24 families, we didn't get a chance. Because we have no room. No space. And on one side, that's a good problem. And on the other side, it's a tragic problem. Because we missed out on welcoming them with the open arms of Jesus. I'll share another number with you. 80. This is a number that represents, under the phase one scenario that we're preparing to propose, the number of spaces that would be opened up in a first first renovation of our school facility. Just by moving an early childhood center where our staff offices are there, that frees up more classrooms down at the end of the hallway for upper grades, as well as expanding preschool and kindergarten for the future. Eighty more students uh, would be able to, to fill our hallways as a result of that kind of renovation and expansion work. Um, that's not including the, the big, large two-story addition that uh, is on the master site plan as a possibility for the future. Maybe 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, maybe 5 years. We don't know. But as God, if he would continue to bless growth, that plan is there, but that's not including all that. That's just in an initial phase, 80 spots. And that's just children. Imagine what God could do for the future and impacting the lives of seniors and people of all ages and college students and high school students and, and, and families and widows and people coming through our doors every week. What would that take? Throw another number up there. Six to eight. That's a big number. Doesn't seem like it, except it represents the potential of what a phase 1 scenario could cost. And, and that's not 6 to 8,000, it's it's much more than that. And we w- wish it were just $6,000 or $8,000, it's much more. And the, you look at that and you say, "Wow, that's that's a god-sized kind of thing. Who could possibly pull that off, right?" And the answer is none of us could pull that off. Only a god could pull that off like ours. A god who can do And work through the lives of his people. A God who shows us again and again through the legacy of faith. That God always is in the business of operating and going beyond what our our, our people as God's people can do in and of ourselves. Because God works in the lives of his people. To respond and leads them to make that difference in Jesus' name. In response to what he has done for us. The ultimate sacrifice. And how is that possible? We'll show another number. Two. We heard this number in our gospel reading today. This beautiful picture that Jesus with his disciples, I love the, the thought, they're just kind of hanging out with his boys in the, in the temple and they're watching people come in and, and, and parading in during this offering time and, and it says that you know that there are wealthy people who came and you can almost feel like they're getting their checkbook out and showing everybody how much they're putting in and making a display of it. And Jesus says, as he's watching this, this widow And it says she's a poor widow as she walks forward. She probably didn't have the nicest, finest clothes. And it says she just subtly walks up there and she puts in two small coins that were worth less than a penny. And that profound statement that Jesus makes, I tell you, this woman has given more than the rest. Because they gave from their wealth, she has given all that she had to live on this this profound impacting moment and and uh, is the application I love that because Jesus is saying all we need to do is just give a few cents and we're we're being faithful and and yet of course that's not the application it's the recognition that when we realize the incredible gift of our God and we respond realizing all of it comes from him the opportunity to take steps of faith that are sacrificial is not one of a forced, a, a just dread or, or this closed hand like, ah, oh, I got to do this because pastor said no. It's, it's an opportunity to live generously in a way that frees us up in joy to say, Lord, ultimately, everything I have comes from you and respond accordingly in, in bold ways. And I love how Jesus makes it clear. It, it really isn't about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. That it looks different in every family of what sacrificial giving is. And that God leads us differently accordingly. It's quite a thought today when you think about what that can mean for us today. What's that number look like for each of us? In a moment we'll get a pledge card out and, and there's a number that will maybe go on your pledge card if you're ready to do that today. And, and that's between you and the Lord. It's confidential. It's not what I think or I'm going to tell you. No, it's, it's between you and the Lord. And as God leads, that number is really according to his leading. As we've been praying, Lord, what would you have us do? But I would say more, than, more important than all of that is an even bigger number. And I'll put that up there. This number. Because this number is what it really is all about. And it's not about, uh, because we win, we're number one. No, not that kind of number, but rather in answer to prayer. It it forms our mission and our vision because it's our Savior, Jesus, who prays it. Let's put that on the screen. Let's read this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. As Jesus prays this prayer just before he goes off to make the ultimate sacrifice and we realize what was on his mind, what was on his mind wasn't, I pray that they would have the greatest buildings or, or, or that they would you know, be the nicest dressed or the nicest homes. Or, it, what does Jesus pray? He prays that God's people in the future would be one. That no matter what we do in the coming days, no matter what we end up building or no matter how much money is given, you know what? All of that is second to one important thing. That we as God's people would be unified in light of our Savior Jesus who has called us and prayed that we would be one, to walk together as one. That that's what matters. That's what matters. Not this, but this. And that the witness of God's people united in faith is a God who works among them bearing witness to the Savior who died for them and lives for them. And gives the gift not only to them, for them to keep it to themselves, but rather as God's people to live. As people who share it with all that we are. But that Jesus might be praised. And that we might be one. Most important thing in all of this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are amazing days. And we praise you for an opportunity to respond uh, as you have shown us your faithfulness again and again. We are part of that legacy you have been writing in the history of your family here. Lord, continue to show us. And today, as we take steps, uh, a step of faith together, may you bless uh, these these responses according to your plan, to do according to your will for our future together, that uh, not only in the present, but the future generations may know that you are a God who loves and a God who saves. Bless us as one, one legacy in Jesus. We pray it, amen, amen.